Hello, and welcome back to Two Idiots One Podcast. I'm Taylor, and I'm Bailey, and this is Hell House Part Two and th- or Part Two, technically Part Two. If you have not listened to Part One, which was our review of the original Hell House LLC movie, go back and listen to it because this will make zero sense to you moving forward. Absolutely. But today we're going to be talking about Hell House LLC Two, the Abaddon Hotel, and Hell House LLC Three. The Lake of Far. And we're also going to be continuing to talk about Hell House 1 because the lore from this one, or from these two, ties back to the first one. And the third movie is basically just flashbacks to the first movie, but that's okay. Exactly. So, I mean, we have to reference it, but if you, like, seriously, though, if you haven't listened to the first part, go back and watch it. This is your last warning. Yes, and there will be heavy, heavy, heavy spoilers almost immediately for Hell House 1, 2, and 3. Because there's not much to talk about with these except for lore. So we'll we'll talk about a few things that are not lore-related, but I guess we'll just dive straight into it on this twofer. Exactly. So Hell House 2, the Abaddon Hotel, takes place um, five years, I think, after the original. Yeah, I think so, because they've compiled all the tapes and stuff. And done their own Good Morning America show, basically, is what it is. Or Murder Mysteries, or whatever. I think it's Murder Mysteries. Murder Mysteries. Um, it's not relevant, because no one cares. But basically, this one follows a girl from Murder Mysteries, her cameraman, her friend, because they get this bright idea to just do it, and Mitch, I believe. Wasn't was Mitch in this one or was it three? Um, Mitch was in this one. He was the individual who led the reporter or the I guess not a reporter, the morning mysteries host to the Abaddon and showed them to the basement. He's yes. like that dude. That's Mitch. I'm pretty confident. I I think so too because this one was basically trying to debunk the first one and say that the Hell House thing never happened. That's the whole point of this. That's why Mitch was on the show. And he's like, no, I survived. I know. Yeah. I know it happened. Yeah, he lost Diana, which was uh, the reporter from episode one, or from uh, Hell House 1. Which we never mentioned. I mean, we mentioned she's the girl who went into uh, 2C. We never C. mentioned her name. That's, that's fair. The reporter from 1, Diana, when she went into uh, 2C, Mitch's... What did I say? You said Mitch's. No, it's when... So Diana went to go see Sarah. Yeah, in two C. This is uh, this there. It's Diana is the group that Mitch was uh that he tried to, he tried to call her to explain, you know, what hey Sarah's dead, so don't go. It's clearly a trap. And then she ignored it. So that that's why that's the only reason he survived and is telling the story is because he stayed behind to edit exactly. Otherwise, he would be dead. But he's not because he's a genius. He's the he's the literal smartest person, I think, in this whole movie. But that's not saying a lot. Anyway, um, so they watch this thing, and she gets this bright idea from her friend, who is the worst actress ever. What was her name? Like, Maggie? I'm unsure. I'm going to call her Maggie. Anyway, good old Magpie was a terrible actress. Um, and the whole, the whole point is that basically they want to get footage for the Abaddon Hotel, so they're going to have him lead them through because that would make the most sense. And they pride themselves on their detective reporter uh, work or whatever because they busted a, what, what was it, senator 
or whatever, like there was a conspiracy circle of illegal activities that they busted, and they're kind of riding that wave to fame, so. Exactly. They're going to bust the mystery on the Abaddon Hotel. So this is uh, this is an important piece from this, um, which ties into the other two movies. But the reason the Morning Mysteries reporter was under the impression there was additional footage to be found in the basement of the house is because she got an anonymous tip in the mail. That basically confirmed that there was stuff there, but she wasn't 100% sure. But yes, basically the, fa- the package that she receives is, hey, there's stuff in the basement that's never been seen before. So in order to get to the basement, the most likely thing would be to have the guy that knows the entire layout of the house. Because he pieced together all of the footage. Right. Guide them through and be like, this is the quickest way to the basement. Because they're under the impression that something happens. And they don't want to necessarily do it, but they're going to in order to get the story. Right. So, th- essentially the second movie is them discussing it. There's a um, them discussing it on Morning Mysteries, whether or not it was a hoax or not. And whether or not it was... The deaths and disappearances were related to a malfunction or supernatural elements. Or if it was all like an elaborate hoax. hoax by the Hell House members because they haven't been recovered. Their bodies were never recovered. They just kind of like disappeared. Um, and then people have claimed that Sarah was there, which was the dying of the reporter from the first one. Because she had that interview with them. So they all saw the footage, but they're like, no, there's no way. Exactly. So everybody, and then one of the things that I think is super funny about this movie is you learn, um, tying into one, I don't remember where it's at, but you do learn in this movie that Alex never actually had permission to be in the house, which is why when, um, the main girl was asking him the, you know, like telling that everything was haunted in the first movie when she was being interviewed or whatever, he's very dodgy on that and tries to be like no 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 absolutely not because he doesn't want people to get spooked and stuff like that because he knows that he's not supposed to be here so he doesn't want to draw attention to it um and he also doesn't want to draw attention to the fact that things are going on but basically the whole point of this is he did not have permission to be there and he is very dodgy throughout the first movie when it comes to questions about it especially in the opening scene where they're going to and they're like wow this place looks abandoned and condemned He's like, yeah, don't think about it. Yeah, he's like, oh, yeah, no, it's not. It's cool. You know, this was a perfect place for a haunted house. Am I right? Well, yeah, because you can't be here. So <laughs> I thought that was, that, was one, that was one thing I really did like about this movie that they did. Right. So uh, on a scale from one to ten, which we probably should have done this beforehand, but probably, but we're doing things in a little bit different order today. Mm-hmm. What would you or not one to ten? I'm sorry. One to five. Uh, we'll do we'll do one to ten for this one because it's going to be the same either way. Um, this movie, I think, has okay lore implications, but I don't think it's a good movie. I think that it's not scary, and it's a one out of five. So I would give this a two out of five um, for very similar reasons. If you're watching this as a standalone movie... It's not a standalone movie at all. You yeah. literally cannot watch this as a standalone movie because it does not make sense. Yeah, if you wa- if you try to watch this as a standalone movie, I would say it's a one or a zero because it's not applicable. Well, even the lore that it... I, the only reason I gave it a one was because of the lore. I think that in the lore wasn't even that good. You don't really get the good aspects of the lore until you get to three. Right. Three well, flushes everything out. I think as a piece of a trilogy, I would give this a two. As a standalone film, a one or a zero. Okay, that's that's fair. Okay, and what about Hell House 3? Because we're going to... 
we're probably going to combine these bad boys. Yeah, we'll we'll combine them because there's not really much to talk about otherwise. Yeah, I would say the third one um, would probably get a get a two two and a half for me. Really? I mean, my issue with the third one is the first movie had some genuinely good creepy factors and scares and stuff in it, and this movie relies very heavily on the first movie. It relies very heavily on the same idea as the first movie of a guy opening a haunted house. And it relies on the same idea. It's the same concept. does a lot. Like the first 15 minutes of the third movie are just flashbacks to the first and second movies. Mainly the first movie. Trying to tie everything together. And I, I think it's weak. I think the whole concept of that movie was flush all the lore out forget how to be scary because i think there's like one scene that's okay in that one for creep factor um but overall yeah it's not the greatest in the world so like two two and a half that's fair i mean i liked it more than the second one by far but so for like as a piece of the trilogy i would give uh hell house three i would probably give it about a 3.5 the same as the first really yes and here's why so the first one was really good for what it is, for a found footage haunted house movie. And a new idea, basically, because this is kind of the first time I've ever seen that concept. Yeah, pretty original concept. The second movie wasn't very good, but it had a lot of good tie-in pieces, which is why it would be a two in regards to the trilogy. And then I would give three, uh, a 3.5 as well as the first one, because the lore implications from the first one is really good. It has a lot of like allegories and metaphors in the third one that were you know, pretty powerful if you look at it from a specific perspective. While it wasn't very scary, there were a couple scenes in it that I would say, you know, could potentially be scary, especially if you're able to maintain your suspended disbelief throughout the entire trip. Because if you're able to do that, then the second one still isn't very good because it's not scary at all and it's basically just additional information. It was tying everything together, saying this is the entire lore of Andrew Tully and the Abaddon Hotel. Boom. Exactly. And then three just, like, solidifies it. There are a couple good scares. It's got, you know, nice allegory. It's got a lot of elements that I think were just, like, pleasant. It's not, there's not enough there for it to be a standalone, like, episode. No. But in relation to the other two movies, I think that they make a, it makes a good three. Or a good 3.5. Well, I mean, I also don't like trilogies, so for this reason... Yeah, I mean, I'm not arguing with your score at all. I totally recognize everyone has different opinions. Well, yeah, that's why we do this podcast, and I like when we have different opinions about stuff. It makes for a much more interesting episode. Agreed. Um, but there was a lot that I didn't like about the second movie. I didn't like the psychic dude. Yeah, Brock whatever. Brock Lesnar. I don't like him <laughs> at all. I don't know why he was even in the movie. I will say... One thing that I did like about it and was in that interview that I talked about with uh, Angie in the first one is, and she didn't, she doesn't really talk about the second or third movie in that interview. She talks about the first one. Um, but one thing that she does say about the second movie that she thought was really cool and I think is was really, really cool is when um, at the end of the movie, they're all sitting at the table together. You have the cast from the second movie with the cast of the first movie and just having them all together in the same room was really cool. And apparently they were um, very cool with each other. I said cool a lot in that, and I apologize. Um, but that they liked pretty each cool. other. Uh-huh. But yeah, they liked each other when they were when they were doing everything, and it was just it was cool to have you know the first or the OG original cast with the new cast. So I feel that. 
And I think the um, the Planchet scene. That that's actually the only scene in two that I like specifically wanted to talk about. Okay, because I think that in the end are really the only thing to talk about, except for one of the worst acting moments in that whole movie, which was when they're on the radio and they're looking at the footage. They're going through the footage or whatever, and then Magpie comes in and she's like, you called me on the radio. He's like, I was in the fucking basement. Yeah. I was looking through footage. How could I do that? Yeah. She, she's really bad at acting. I just really want to point that out. But anyway, you wanted to talk about the Planchet scene, so we can we can talk about that. So Brock, uh, which is the psychic that was also on Morning Mysteries and his assistant, um, go to the house and they go to the dining room because that's where Andrew Tolley and his followers were believed to have killed themselves uh, in the original Abaddon Hotel before it was Hell House, you know, back in like the 80s. Right. So during that scene, he asks, you know, a variety of questions. He's like, is there something here? And it goes to yes. And then he's like, oh, well, are you Andrew Tolley? And it's like, no. Are you one of his followers? And it's, you know, it doesn't move. It doesn't do anything. So it's not a definitive no. Well, I mean, I I think it is a definitive no. No, I mean, it is a definitive no. But in, in in the, from the perspective of it doesn't move at all, it doesn't necessarily have to be a definitive no. But he reads it as a no as well. So he's like asking all these questions and he's like, do you um, intend to harm anyone in the house? And it slides over to yes. And he's immediately like, oh, my bad, sorry. But during that scene, um, as you're watching it, if you look into the uh, at the dummies in there, the mannequins or whatever, the leftover Hell House stuff. They're y- turning. You can see him move and stuff during the scene. Mm-hmm. And that's the only scene in two that I would say is like, or the only scene in two that's not just something from one. You know what I mean? Because it shows a lot of the same footage. Right. But I mean, that's the only unique scene to two that I thought was scary or potentially scary. Yeah, I can't really think of anything else. Um, because basically the whole point of this movie is that they're doing police footage from the Morning Mysteries girl. I think her name's Kat. Um, they're doing mystery or they're interviewing her because she was found wandering oh, like the streets alone four or five days later. And they want to figure out what happened because they haven't heard from her in that amount of time. So she's kind of like recalling everything and going through the events that happened and is very, very shooken up. Um, So one of the things that I really did not like is they had ample opportunities to have creepy stuff go on in the background and Mm -hmm. didn't really do anything. No. So they did it a lot in the first one and they even did it in the third one. The only time that they did it in this one is before they go to the hotel when she's standing outside and she says even our cameras caught something and you see one of the followers up on the balcony yeah in one of the shots that was basically it they had a prime opportunity when they were when the camera was facing the doorway behind them and they were going through the footage footage. Mm -hmm. there could have been anything there really at this point but nothing happens exactly and I feel like they even tried to do the the clown from the basement a couple times, and it just... it For some reason, because two and three were both written by the same individual, one, Steven. Yes. And it's really surprising how much... I don't want to use the word effort, because I can't definitively say how much effort anyone puts into anything. But I feel like one and three had a lot more effort put into them by the director than the second. There's a significantly bigger gap, and two just didn't feel up to the same standards. But most trilogies don't. 
No, I mean, I, I agree. Even, like, you know, the Star Wars trilogies. Yeah, but, I mean, six is the best. But you said the one one was the best here, and one and six are the same. Wh- what do you mean? Oh, never mind. I'm silly. I meant four and six are the same. Or I meant four and one, I not four and six. I literally no idea what you're talking about now. Well, because Star Wars episode, the first episode is episode four, but in my mind, what, what I was initially trying to get at is one equates to four, but yes. you said six, but in my mind, I was like, oh, four. I was like, yeah, it's the same. Yeah, no, I mean, there's only three Star Wars movies, so. Uh, uh, okay. Yeah, there's only there's only three. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, that's fair. But yeah, um, I don't know. Kind of just falls short. This whole movie really falls short, and I don't think there's any significant lore implications, really. Not in two. Basically, the implications are Andrew Dolly, bad guy, did some stuff and makes his presence officially known at the end of the film um, where you realize that Mitch is actually dead and so is Cat, and that Magpie was like the only one that got out because he lets one of them go and they can't figure out who it is. So she's the only one that actually survived, but no one cares. They do this really stupid thing when Cat's being interviewed where her face when the when the police officer is taking the the phone call or whatever and passes by her face goes from normal to like demonic and then when he passes over again it changes back to her her normal face right i felt like that was super unnecessary because kind of implied right so the only uh other lore implication in the second one that i don't think you mentioned is it kind of confirms what was hinted at in the first one of the people that come to the hotel are coming because they're drawn for whatever reason. Because Mitch yes. explains to the host of the Morning Mysteries that you were drawn here. That's why you got the letter that was like, hey, come in. And Diana was also drawn here. Diane was also drawn here by, you know, Sarah coming and doing the interview with us and telling her to go there. Right. You were drawn the same way by receiving this in the mail. Right, and Andrew Tolley even explains to Mitch, you know, you were drawn the same way that Alex was drawn to it. And there will be another one who is drawn to it as well, which is the main guy in the third one, which we'll get to. Right, I'm actually ready to move on to the third one unless there was something else from two you felt obligated to mention. Um, I mean, the the, the Planchet scene was, was cool. Yeah. Um. There's a lot of missed opportunities. I can't really think of anything else that just stands out. I mean... The the important parts from 2 are the lore elements, which we've explained. Right, because I don't think there's any more lore that we were we were missing, is there? I don't think so from 2. It's kind of convoluted because 3 immediately starts pumping lore at you super fast, and it's kind of hard to differentiate because they're shot in such similar... Because the three of them are shot in such similar fashions. Okay, so there is one more thing I want to mention, and that is the ending while the credits are rolling. Oh, okay, uh, yeah, this is good. Because I really, really enjoyed this one, and it is a shot of Alex and Mac talking in a diner with the camera on there. And Alex being, like, I think this really solidifies his whole character of the way that, you know, Mac's like, I want to get this on record. Because I think that's when you figure out that it's illegal. I think that he's not supposed to be here. I think so. And then when you're walk or when they're walking out, you see Mitch sitting in the diner, which isn't a thing until three. Oh, is that's in three? Is that in three? I thought that was in two. When because the diner scene, it it, it is, but it's not. It's 
the main guy. Oh. From three, he was okay. Always there. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm I'm misremembering. Yeah. Like I said, these movies really run together because they're very similar. They're all very similar, and they use footage from all of them and all of them. Except for the first one. The first one's all real footage. Well, I mean, in all of the sequels, it uses footage from the first one, and it uses footage from the second one. Sometimes the same footage from a different perspective where you gain more information. Right. I feel like you got really close to the mic on there, and I can hear you better. Oh, I didn't mean to. You got really close on that one. That one's going to be... You're going to edit that part. Yeah, I'm sorry. But yeah, I don't know. I, um, I, I think overall, that scene was really cool because he's explaining we're not supposed to be here and then max like okay well i need to get this on camera that you're saying this is illegal and it was your idea so i can't be at fault for this right and then he convinces everybody else except for sarah because sarah's his girlfriend and it's just automatically going to go along with it according to him because he doesn't even say anything about her but they all agree to it and it's all like a consensus of we're we're going to do this so i really i really enjoyed that part of it and it does tie into the first one so i think that was probably my favorite part of the second movie which ironically was the end and had nothing to do with the new characters it was all the old ones so i think with that being said now we can move into three okay what is three about so three is about insomnia which is a play that's super similar to the first one so insomnia is a play set in new york or not set in New York, but has historically uh, taken place in New York. Oh, I thought it was a Stephen King novel. Uh, it is also a Stephen King novel, but but that is not that is not what we're uh, what we're going to be talking about. Really tripped you up on that one, didn't yeah, I? Yeah, no, you completely boggled my mind because I wasn't thinking about Stephen King. Yeah, I know. I've, I've been holding that in. I just want you to know that through the last episode because I was like, oh, as soon as he says it, I'm going to do it, so... <laughs> I apologize. No, you're okay. But it's about a play that is held in New York called Insomnia, which is produced by Russell Wynn. He's like the main dude. He produces like... He's a big shot. He has a lot of money, basically. Yeah, he has a lot of money. He makes wine. Has It doesn't ever say like specifically how much money he has, but it's made super apparent that he has like copious amounts of money. He is extremely wealthy, and he has an assistant named Jeff who... They make fun of quite a bit throughout this movie, I think. But honestly, I think he was my favorite character. That's the CFO, right? The chief financial officer. If you want to call him that, I mean... that's Wasn't that his title? I thought his title was Russell's bitch. I mean... Because that's basically what he was. I mean, he's basically Russell's bitch. But, so, the third one, it's about insomnia. And he Russell Wynn decides to host it at... At the at Hell House at the Abaddon Hotel. Well, because so little backstory, the Abaddon Hotel is about to be demolished, which they make reference to that of why it wasn't demolished after the Hell House incident, and then more people ended up disappearing. They tell you that he it's about to be destroyed, and then Russell swoops in and buys it in order to do insomnia. Exactly. And then what happens is he's putting on a play about a uh, it's uh, who is it uh, Nietzsche. Is who it's like based off of? Wasn't it? Was it? No, uh, it's uh, Vost. Vost, yes. Who is basically having a confrontation with the devil and God, and you're following the whole time through there. And he had everybody wears masks. Which, um, hard fact, there is a actual excuse me haunted house in real life that does do the same thing. I forgot what the name was, but it does do um, something similar with his patrons wearing masks, which I thought was cool. That is very cool. 
I think anytime that they do actual horror haunted house stuff for these movies, I think, and I think that's what makes this movie a little bit better for me is that they follow the same formula as the first one. So there is, you know, cooler aspects to it besides, ooh, we're in a hotel. Right. Exactly. So basically, uh, they go and do this. They're planning on doing the play Russell is. And Vanessa, which is the Morning Mysteries host, is um, told to, like, document the whole thing. And she provides cameras to everyone. Well, and she doesn't want to. She doesn't want to initially. But after she starts, she makes it a point to that she's not going to quit. And her reasoning is it's because she doesn't want to look weak. She just started. And she doesn't want them to think that she's, you know, a scared, you know, person. She basically goes into um her like a rant about how while while she's crying because she does get freaked out but she's you know sobbing and saying that everybody is expecting a woman not to do this but a man can do this so i need to prove them wrong and say you know i've only been doing this for a few months now i took over from the other girl i need to make sure that women um, can do this so this is why i'm staying exactly even though she really does not want to and makes it super apparent because a lot of things happen and they capture a lot of things on film this one does do what the first one did and give you those creepy shots of something in the background that's just caught on camera learn of something from two <laughs> so are there any specific scenes in three you want to talk about uh the only thing that i can think of this like I'll, I'll talk about the creepiest scene i guess um which ironically isn't even that creepy but I did not like this girl, but it's when the girl gets drunk and they dare her because Russell has this weird rule of nobody's in the house after production. After hours, we're we're done. So we uh we said that we were going to spoil it very early. So do you want to go ahead and tell people why Russell was like that? Oh, because basically this whole movie is an allegory, I guess, for Jesus because Russell's Jesus because Alex opened up the portal to hell and Russell sacrifices himself to close the portal to hell, much like Jesus did, and then gets trapped inside the house with everybody because they died in the house. So the house has taken their souls, so now they're trapped there. Like, you know, Jesus dies and goes to hell for three days and then comes back. Um, Russell also came back. He died in a car accident or whatever and was legally dead for two minutes and then gets a scar, comes back, and has basically been there, you know, like you mentioned in the diner scene, he was there. Um, he was also... I don't think I mentioned the diner scene on on podcast. Yeah, you did. Oh, we I did. literally just talked about the diner scene at the end of two, where you said it was oh. what's his nuts. No, I was talking about a different diner scene. Oh, yeah, no. That scene, he was there, and then he was also um passing by out in the when the girls were going in the second movie so he's always been there and has always been a part of this and it's always been his destiny to basically do what jesus did sacrifice himself and fight satan and win right um, there's also further evidence to support that this is basically him being jesus with the last supper um, they go to like a texas roadhouse type place or whatever it right before it opens it's the day right before, before. It, oh never mind yeah, it's yes. the day before it opens right so this is legitimately their last supper because they all die spoiler alert no one dies well no they die they die and they get brought back they they say that and what ends up happening is he shows up he's late the kitchen's been closed he can't get anything so he orders bread and when the basket of bread has been delivered everybody reaches in and grabs it and he goes oh are you guys hungry did you not eat 
So he's literally breaking bread, much like Jesus did with his disciples. And he has his disciples, quote unquote, around him that he's eating with. And he even orders wine, tries to order a fancy wine. They don't have it. So he, I don't remember what he orders. But he it's orders relevant. the house red. The house, okay. So you're more, you're the wine expert. <laughs> I mean, so. I wouldn't call myself a wine expert, but he just orders the house red. I mean, you did grow up at a winery, so. I mean, that's fair. But anyway, he orders the house red, so he's he never eats the bread, never really partakes in it, but he you know, he's drinking the wine, so he is and then he gets up and leaves and lets them enjoy their thing. So bef- before he gets up and leaves, he has a conversation with Jude or with Vanessa. Who you almost said was Judas because she basically is. So if if uh you're following the Christ allegory which is presented in this film. I mean it very much like slaps you in the face with it. There is no hiding it. Right. I mean, well, so if, you, if you're following the Christ allegory that's presented in this film, uh, Jesus had given information to Judas, and then Judas betrayed him. Right. And in this, Russell provides Vanessa with information, which he'd also provided uh, the priest. Well, he so basically what happens is he shows she interviews this priest who talks about knowing Russell or whatever and before this and then right before they're about to leave you know he was walking out she catches up with him and then he whispers something to her much like he whispered to Jeff uh, but he whispers something to her you don't know what it is and then the, her camera guy goes over there and she immediately says we need to go talk to the priest he right. knows more than he's leaving on and so she goes and talks to the priest. I guess the priest could also represent Judas because he's the one who legitimately held his secrets. But essentially, she gets the information no. from the priest. No, he's he doesn't. I don't know. He, no, he does hold the secrets because he's the one who knows that uh, his estate is being liquefied at midnight. Right, but he's not. I don't. But he's not Judas because he he does not betray him the way that she does because yes did he betray him yes but she ruined everything she tried to she tried to uh, and that was her intention even though she tries to justify it by saying that it was you know illegal and something more was going on um you know like you said go go ahead and explain what he what the priest says so the priest basically says that you know uh at midnight he intends to liquidate all of his funds and we're going to donate it to charities um, this is all planned. He's a deeply disturbed individual, which this further indicates that he had knowledge that he was going to die. He knew his purpose. Yeah, exactly. Much like Jesus did. Exactly. So one of them would represent Judas, probably Vanessa more, because she leaked the information to the public in order to cause, you know, what he was trying to make happen not happen, which obviously it still succeeded just as in the Christ allegory or in the Christ story, it still succeeded. Right. Judas betrayed Jesus for money for personal gain. Right. That was the whole point. And she betrayed him for her personal gain as well, because this is going to leak the story out, get people um, to basically betray him. And it's going to boost her ratings and make her more of a solidified reporter, quote unquote. So, yeah, she I mean, the priest had nothing to gain. I mean, yes, I, I agree with you. Uh, the only thing that he had to gain was, I mean, his morality is what caused him to divulge the information. I don't think it had anything to do with, with personal gain. He just felt like a moral obligation and responsibility because it was something that was technically illegal, I guess. So he just wanted to say, this is what it is. That's fair. But the reason all of this is relevant um, for this part is because it explains uh, Russell's rules. 
Yes. So you were about to talk about the scene where um, the actress goes down, t- which she plays an actress in the movie. Yes, she's kind of like really annoying. And I think the first time that you ever see her, she basically explains a bunch of millennial bullshit. Right. Which solidified me as, oh, this character's annoying. This is the woke character, technically. (laughs) That you were about to talk about her uh, scene when she's intoxicated. Yeah, so she gets like super drunk and there's four of them and they're all trying to get the other person to go in to touch the clown in the basement's nose, which is the the clown that turns his head in the first one. Um, They're like, go go touch his nose. You got to document the whole thing on video so that way we know you actually did it and didn't just walk in there and say you did it. So she goes through and, you know, she hears the, which I forgot to mention this in the first episode, but the music I really enjoyed. Um, I thought that it was kind of fucking stupid in the second one where the little kid was playing it in like 1997 or whatever. Yeah. Um, that was dumb as so why we didn't talk about it. But, uh, oh, I did read somewhere about that fun fact that it's the uh, Meow Meow Mix slowed down. Really? Yeah. Hmm. So I went and looked it up. And I can I can see if you like slow down the meow meow mix jingle how you would get this. That being said, I really did like the score of the first one. But she goes in there, hears that, thinks that they're messing with her. She's really intoxicated. Um, one of the coolest shots is when she turns around the camera when she's in the dining room and turns the camera to like talk to it, and all of the people from the previous movies are in the dining room. Yeah, and the cast from one and two are standing, like, ghostly behind her, which is really cool. That was a really cool shot. Which reminds me of another really cool shot in this um, that I'll talk about when you're finished going through this one. Uh, And basically what happens is she makes her way down to the basement, and they make this joke about her making out with the clown. So she goes, I got a special treat for you guys. So she starts legitimately making out with this clown and while she's doing this it's just a kiss no she's she's going for it she's like she's trying to get all sloppy with him but she's interrupted because you know the clown from the first movie whose head can't turn she ends up and i don't even know i like a corner of her eye i guess she sees it um but she sees his head turn gets super freaked out starts to run and then when she turns back around he is like standing up Super menacing. And it freaks her out so bad that she drops the camera and just runs out. Exactly. And then they find the camera the next day and review the footage and get, like, really pissed off. But what was the, what was the scene you were going to talk about? So the other scene I was going to talk about is um, it's a scene that takes place in the attic or the room. I, I assume it's the attic where Russell and Jeff and Vanessa mm-hmm. were when they were, like, discussing, like, the plans. Are you talking the about the safe? No, I'm talking about, like, the attic. Yeah, where the safe's at. Is that the scene you're talking well, about? It's the, I'm talking about the scene where uh, you can see Alex hanging in the background, and it's, like, it's not the focal point. Oh, or where they're talking. Okay, so one of the, so backstory, one of the girls quits, but she documented everything on Instagram, I think is what they talk, or, well, not necessarily Instagram, I think they just say social media. Yeah, it's uh, Isabella's the character. Yes, and that was, that's the scene that you're talking about? Yeah, so while it's going through her, her social media, it shows a, a frame or a still of her taking a picture in the, uh, in the attic, and in it you can see Alex just, like, dangling in the background, and it's a, it's a, I guess it's not a shot, it's just a picture. But it's super cool. I really enjoyed it. Like, her going through her Instagram was, like, fun. Like, I thought those were super solid. 
and they were comparing the pictures. Um, the next one is when she's in the the cellar, where he's replaced all of the wine with his wine, uh, with his wine brand. But basically, she's taking a picture in the wine cellar with the with his brand, and Max's face is looking at her in the corner. Yep, I thought those were really cool. Yeah, that shows that they're still in the house and have always been there. Right in spirit form. <laughs> But yeah, that was that was cool. Oh, also, fun little hard fact Easter egg, I guess. Um, do you remember when they're doing the haunt and they can't find Russell, so they're looking at him? Um, it's it's Jeff and the two people doing the the monitoring or whatever. Yeah. Uh, the woman on the left, that is Angie. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I had no idea. I didn't know that either until, uh, let me rephrase it. If I hadn't have watched the first one with the director's cut, I wouldn't have known what she looked like because I had to look her up, um, and that's what she looks like. So hmm. that was a little, uh, she's not credited for it, but that is her. That's pretty cool. Unless I'm completely wrong and that's not what she looks like, but I'm pretty like 99% sure that that's what it is. So That's really cool. But yeah, she was in there doing that for that scene. Um, but in that scene, they're basically trying to find Russell, and he's talking with Andrew Tully. Exactly. Who has manifested himself. And is basically telling, like, Russell all of his plans, which is super comical because Russell already knows. Yeah, Russell knows everything. He understands why he's here, why everything is, is going on. Why he survived the car crash. Because this was his purpose. Yeah. And I think even Andrew Tully says, your purpose has almost been filled because his idea of his purpose was to bring him here in order to get everybody into the haunt and kill them. Yeah, to make it to where the gate is fully opened, or the gate's open wide enough for hell to break out on Earth. Right. Because that's Tolly's, uh, like, final goal. And also, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I apologize. No, it's okay. That's his, that's his main objective, is to open up the gates of hell. And he's going to do that. And I just want you to know that when that happens, um, that was the most piss-poor acting I've ever seen. <laughs> there's there's one scene in particular uh, where they're at the bar. And I don't understand why the camera's fucking spinning the entire time. Um, I'm pretty sure that it's supposed to have been sat down on something. Okay. Well, what, what fucking... Was there like a swivel or something? So, that it, I don't remember seeing anything, but I all I know the scene you're talking about, but it's clearly the, it's clear that the camera is on the table. And it is clear that it is spinning. So, because it's on the table, I would imagine it might have been placed on, like, a record player that they had going during Insomnia for, like, background music or something like that is what I'm guessing. I don't definitively know because it's never shown what the camera's placed on. I guess it really doesn't matter because the the part that I'm going to talk about is when it's spinning, there is a scene of a woman being stabbed that goes by and you can see that the person that is doing the stabbing has nothing in their hand and is just like going down with their fist. Yeah. They're, it's really funny. There are a couple of things during that that like don't look good. But also, I would say that that's potentially the scariest scene in not that specifically, but that series of shots where it's the followers coming out of hell or the demons coming out of hell and just killing people. Mm -hmm. I would say that that is potentially the scariest scene in the movie, depending on what scares you. Because if you're scared of like gore and stuff, it's not super bloody, but it's the quote unquote bloodiest slash goriest part in the whole trilogy. Well, yeah, the white sheets that they had, which yeah. represented heaven heaven and insomnia and insomnia turn red with blood yeah which that was cool like i liked how the uh i like the blood splatter effects when the people were getting killed off screen during that 
Right. I, I liked it too. Um, I felt like that was the whole purpose of that room, though, was to make it bloody. No, and they no. Just had to one hundred percent write in. This is what this part is. One hundred percent. Which is fine. Yeah. I guess. I don't know. There were there were certain parts like that that I just. Eh, it was okay. I mean, the whole the the camera swivel really ruined it for me because that goes way longer than it needs to. That was one thing I absolutely hated. But yeah, everybody fucking dies. And then Russell, in a really bad CGI shot, that messed with me a lot too, where they really incorporated CGI because the portal is opening and then the ground below them as they're struggling and it's really weird. It looks so bad. It looks awful. The acting in that scene was awful. Um, I mean, I can't say anything about the acting, but the CGI was really bad. They literally looked like they were trying to hug each other, like aggressively hug each other. There wasn't, it, I didn't get a sense of struggle. Some UFC fights look like they're aggressively hugging each other, but you know they're using a lot of force. I mean, yeah, but that's different. Okay, this is literally two supernatural beings fighting for the enslavement and freedom of all of humanity, and it looks like they're about to wrestle like the start of a wrestling match where they like lock each other and are hugging is what it looked like and then they just trip and fall into the portal of hell and then it closes or something and the house burns down yep and then all of the people who quote-unquote died are found safe or let me rephrase that all of the insomnia people who died during the insomnia event are found are found behind the hotel totally safe even though we just watched all of them die right they come back and even uh, the news reporter girl, Vanessa, Melissa, is that her Vanessa, name? Vanessa, uh, even Vanessa and Jeff are talking where Jeff's like, I, I could have swore, you know, there, it was, there was this and then I, I could have swore I died. Like, I don't understand what happened. And she goes, no, we did. Yeah, we did die. Russell saved us. Exactly. And, and then, um, like the house burns down and it talks about that and then it shows the afterlife with russell with the original hell house people explaining to him what happened which we don't know that that's the afterlife we when you when you first see it you assume that they are saved like everybody else you know and this must have happened earlier or whatever because the house is still intact but they're they're gonna make it and they're gonna get out of here then we figure out it's the afterlife because russell explains that no the house got you you're in here and one of the things that has, and I, I've waited until this moment to say it, but it's one thing that really bugs me the entire movie, is that fucking door, when they are banging on it trying to get out, okay, which has been done multiple times throughout all three films, okay, and every single time suffers from the exact same issue of it is blatantly obvious that they are opening the door the wrong way. And that's why that door does not open, because it's meant to be pulled inward, not pushed outward and you can see it by the way the door is like bending so let me ask you a question how many houses would you say you've been in in your entire life i legitimately don't know you have no no idea i have no idea i've been in several how many how many buildings have you been into that are meant for residential uh a A lot lot. a lot yeah i guess i don't know like an exact number but what direction do the doors to most homes open inward if you're on the if you're on the inside, they open inward. Right. And he was shoving on it, uh-huh. trying to open it, like he was outside. Yeah. So I'm pretty confident that almost every residential place, when it's built, the doors are opened inward. 
Yes. And I think that's for, I think that's just like, or at least here in the U.S., I'm pretty confident that that's like common practice. I don't think I've ever been to a place where the main entrance to the house opens outwards. Instead of, unless it's a commercial facility. Yeah, commercial facilities, but I'm talking like residential Residential, houses. Yeah, that's why I was like, I don't understand. Yeah. But this is supposed to be a hotel. But I mean, even, even with it being a hotel, it's set up very similar to like a residential place. Right. My, my point in all that was you could, you could tell looking at it that he's just fucking stupid. Right. Well, I mean, you, like, like I said, these movies are really good. The more you're able to suspend your disbelief. Well, yeah. Because they never try to break out a window. They never. No. They never, you know, show like the, they never try to use the back basement exit. Well, and you can justify those instances by saying mass panic happened. Uh, people weren't thinking straight. That you know they were just going that way. This one, there is no explanation except that's not how doors work. Right. Right. Exactly. The door does not work that way. Exactly. Stop it. Yeah, that's something that's just been bugging me the whole time. So. No, I definitely feel that. But so lore-wise, the major like lore takeaways from three, I would say, is Russell Wynn was always aware. Uh, it shows a scene where he's sitting at a diner, not the not the diner with uh not the not the Last Supper diner, but you know it sh- well yeah this is just me reiterating. Oh, you're reiterating. So it shows him sitting there with Alex in the original game, or he's not sitting with them. They pass by him. Right, he's sitting in the same diner. Yeah. Um, Phrasing, Bailey. I'm, we I don't want people to be confused. I apologize, but it shows him sitting in the same diner. It shows information indicating that he's always been aware. Not necessarily leading people there, but aware that people are being led there. Yes. And there are scenes that show that, you know, Mitch from the last one was leading people there, even if it was indirectly. Um, And there are scenes showing, like, totally leading people there. So the reason all of these groups came is because they were led there with the purpose of, mainly by Tolly, with the purpose of opening the gate. And the whole story is essentially the allegory of Jesus and and uh He died to save us. Yeah, Russell coming and dying to stop the gates to hell being opened. Because he's the only one that actually truly dies in the third movie. Exactly. I mean, yeah. So from like lore wise, if you're a lore junkie, then yeah, it's good and you need to watch all of them. Uh the lore falls apart sometimes, but for the most part I say it's pretty solid. Yeah. It falls apart every now and then, but that's okay. It's not. I mean, they flushed it out in three movies. They probably could have flushed it out more if they had like a mini series or something. I don't know. Yeah. But I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to get into that. But yeah, their narrative choices, I think, diminished some of the potential lore they could have pushed out. But no, definitely did. With what's there, I think it's pretty good. And I, I guess we'll skip the recommendation segment because it's the same from yeah, the first one. Pretty much. Um. However, I will say. We've never done this before, but I'm going to give, like, the overall series a score. Oh, okay. And I would give the overall series a score as a three because, uh, on a scale from one to five, I would give it a three. Because the first movie and the last movie, I would recommend, but the second movie, I probably wouldn't recommend. But you have to recommend. Yeah, exactly. But you can't watch the third, or there's, the third movie wouldn't make sense without watching the second movie. And the second movie wouldn't make sense without watching the first movie. Right. Because that's how trilogies work. So because of that, I would say the overall score is a three. I'll, I'll agree with you for different reasons, but yeah, I, I would say it's a three overall. Yeah. 
maybe maybe a two and a half, two and a half, three. Yeah, I don't know. I'll say three. And what do you have for Taylor's talk today, my friend? Well, so for this one, I wasn't as prepared as I normally am um, because I thought we were just going to do one long episode, but then we split it up into two parts for you viewers at home. And if you um, want us to do like a long episode next time, I guess in the Facebook group, leave us a comment about that and say, yeah, do one super episode. And if you like the two parts for the two first, say, I like the two first. And if you hate both of this, just say, stop. Yeah, just request that we stop releasing episodes. Yeah, all together, be like, I don't like you guys. You need to stop what you're doing. And then we'll continue releasing them and just, you know, we'll, we'll consider your opinion. No, we won't. No, I'll consider it. I'll I won't. C- I'll consider stopping. I just won't do it because I do what I want. Yeah, I won't consider stopping because obviously there are more people that like it than you. So, I mean, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I'm doing it for the people. Uh, but in this episode, I guess I'll, I'll kind of like reverse what you said so in the last episode we talked about what i would have to do for it to be like a nope situation so now we never really discussed what you would do so i want to know since you are like a are you you a believer let me just ask you that uh i think that some supernatural stuff is potentially real but i don't necessarily believe in like hauntings per se but you believe more than i do you would say that you're a little bit more the amount of things that would have to happen for me to nope out of somewhere are drastically less than me getting something tossed at me. Okay, so I, I'm, I'm curious because we never really discussed what yours was. So I'll, I'll let you have this time to explain what your nope situation is. So as like a full-grown adult that is generally rational and no known psychological problems to speak of, I would say that for me to be in a situation where I would be like, oh no, I don't feel safe in this establishment for potential supernatural reasons, would be if I was to like move in somewhere or live somewhere and frequently hearing noises that couldn't be explained in an apartment, that's not the case because obviously it could be my neighbors. But if it was a house and too many frequent noises that were unexplainable, not not creaking and stuff like that, but like voices because I don't hear voices normally, So if I started randomly hearing voices in a new place, I would assume that it was that place and not a me thing. So that might be enough. But definitely if I started seeing things get moved super frequently that I knew wasn't me, which isn't the case if I had roommates, but if I lived alone and like my stuff constantly got misplaced, I would start to get suspicious, not necessarily of supernatural elements, but of someone breaking in or something and like messing with me. And that would probably also cause me to nope out. Okay, because that's what that's what I was going to talk about. So there's so there's two instances where I can think of that I know would be considered like hauntings or whatever, and that's what they thought. Um, so the first one is this dude on Reddit was like talking about how he would there would be notes left all over the place. Yeah, and I would things nope. moved. And he was like, I don't I don't know why. Like I go to bed, wake up, and there's notes everywhere. Yep like little sticky notes and things have been moved that I know that I didn't move. Can someone explain it to me? Yeah. After the first day I would nope out because that means that either someone has the key and is getting in and could potentially harm me while I'm asleep or that there's someone else in there with me or that it's a ghost or a demon or something. And all of those are nope situations for me. So he did what I would do and try to just figure it out before he noped out of there. turns out he needed to nope out of there very quickly because he was having CO2 poisoning. And it was causing him to, like, there was a CO2 leak that was causing him to 
black out basically and do things that he would normally do, but in like a sleepwalking manner. So he was like slowly dying is what it was. Yep. So I would be right to nope. Yeah, you'd be, you'd be right to nope in that situation. And then the next one is um, this girl had a boyfriend or whatever, and he broke up with her or she broke up with him. He got like super obsessed with her and started living in her walls. So there would be conversations heard and like there was a conversation with her little sister where she had with the wall, which ended up being him and the parent, like it was a, it was a divorced dad. So he was taking care of these two girls and he like freaks out on him and says, none of that happened. And then one day, um, he comes home and the house is trashed and this dude had put on a wig and his ex like his dead wife's dress and was waiting in the girl's closet with a hatchet ready to kill her yeah so if i lived somewhere and i had children and they were talking to the wall i would nope out yeah i think that was i think in in that situation i i mean he dismissed it as you're just your imagination right he would be like I w- it would be me in the situation nope you would know about more than likely, like, unless it was a super imaginative kid, and if it was an imaginative kid, I would do what all parents should do if their kids have too much personality and put them somewhere. Oh, you mean what my parents should have done? Because <laughs> I would I would say that I have too much personality sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Normal parents, if their kids have too much personality or energy, you know, give them drugs or put them places to make them less like that. Oh, like a psych facility? I never said that. Oh, okay. I'm just, I'm just saying. <laughs> Obviously, that was a joke. If someone, if like, d- please don't misinterpret my tone. I don't think you should put children places. No, I think, I mean, so let me, okay, so as a person who works in mental health and has been on that side of things, I will say that there are a time and a place that your kid needs to be in a facility. But if you just think that your kid is acting out or whatever, Please don't put them in a facility like that, okay? Because, like, your kid just, you're, you don't need that, okay? You want a vacation from your kid, and I understand that. But if your kid has, like, serious depression issues and is a threat to themselves or others, yeah, maybe put them in a place where they can receive help, okay? But if they're just, like, you know, mouthing you or whatever and you get pissed off at them and put them there, don't do that. Yeah, or, you know, being too imaginative. Yeah, but if they're, like, actually schizophrenic, yeah, you know, put them in a place where they can get some medication and figure out what works. Right? So that's what we're trying to say. Yeah, exactly. I was, I, yeah. Just wanted to clarify on that one. Exactly. Thank you, Taylor, because sometimes I don't always mean what, or say what I mean. No, don't worry. I got you. So, because that's, that's kind of how I feel. And I have, like, per personal firsthand experience. So I feel like I'm able to talk about that. Well, look at me. I have experience. I got experience over a year, baby. But anyway. Anything else you want to talk about? No, I think that that's all I have for, you know, part two of today's episode. Hell House, LLC 2, The Abaddon Hotel, and Hell House Part 3. LLC 3. LLC 3, The Lake of Thor. Fur. Thor. Fur. And if, <laughs> so I just want anybody, if anybody doesn't get that, um, I don't know how to explain it to you. And if you do get it and think that it's funny, please let me know so I know that I'm not just like making a joke and nobody gets it. Was that a joke? I just thought you sounded funny when you talked. Do you really not know why I do that? No, I'm just, I'm, I'm making a joke. You're making a joke? Okay. So now I have to ask, do you, do you get it? No. Really? No, you're going to have to explain it. I'm not explaining it. I'll explain to you off air. (laughs) I'll explain to you after we're done with this. So I guess with that being said, this has been Two Idiots, One Podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Bailey. And we will see you next time when, oh yeah, forgot what, what movies are we reviewing?
Oh, dude, I don't know. Oh, I don't know either. You want to do like a special surprise episode for this one? Yeah, let's do a special surprise episode. Okay, yeah. Since you got this twofer, we're going to mix things up, and you're just not going to know what we're going to do. So if you have any suggestions, feel free to leave them in our Facebook group, and we will consider them. Absolutely. I guess now we'll end this. This has been Two Ideas, One Podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Bailey. Thank you very much for listening. Bye.